If we can't be excited about Easter Sunday, about Resurrection Sunday, then all the rest of the days of the year make no difference. The commemoration, Lord, we bless you right here. God, before we take a step forward, God, to do anything else, God, we step backward, God, to go, Jesus, thank you. We say, Jesus, you are awesome. We say, Father, be exalted. God, we give you praise and glory and thanksgiving. Jesus, you paid the ultimate price and you had the ultimate victory. Lord Jesus, we are grateful. God, we can be called church triumphant because you win and you're our God and you're our king. We give you, God, all that there is about us. Lord Jesus, recognizing, Lord, that it's you who brings life. It's you who brings hope. God, we celebrate your goodness today. We acknowledge, Jesus, that it's your faithfulness and your goodness that has brought us this far. And Lord Jesus, it's those same things, God, that will lead us forward. Lord, we bless you, we love you, and we honor you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It's a good thing to worship God. It's a good thing to have some good music to worship God with. Would you agree with me? Give, give God a praise clap for the worship team and the choir. They're pulling double duty today. And I appreciate them tons and tons. I'm going to have you do something that we don't normally do, so you better get ready. If you've got a Bible, you can get it ready. Turn to Isaiah 53. Thomas, are you ready? I want to ask you to stand with me. We don't often do this, but I think every now and then it's a good thing to stand up and give reverence to the Word of God. Thomas is going to put the words of the New King James Version of the Bible on the screen. We're going to read from Isaiah 53 together loudly. Let these words echo. Let these words resound because these words are what this day is all about. Are you with me? Let's start at verse 1. Are you ready? Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should be, desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Here's the home run hit right here. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm start you can be seated. I'm starting a two-week series today called Pierced. There's all sorts of things happening in our world. You see piercings everywhere all the time, but I'm going to talk to you today about the most significant piercing that ever took place. The word pierce means to run into or through as a pointed weapon does, to stab, to enter or thrust into sharply or painfully. 
to make a hole through to perforate, or to force or make a way into or through. It is my desire today to show you how Jesus was not only pierced, but he forced a way. He made a way through for us to get from where we are to where the Father was. It was his piercing that forced a way through for us to get behind the veil into the kingdom and through to our Father in heaven. Are you with me on that? Some of you may be new. You're visiting today. Listen, it's okay to interact with me. I'm all right with that. You can say amen. You can say oh my. You can say oh me. You can say oh my goodness. I don't care what you say. If it sounds like it might be something from the truth of God's word, you can, you can, you can feel free to respond, okay? It's okay. Psalm 22, verse 1, we'll find these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those words are significant because they're prophetic words. They were written hundreds of years before Jesus would be born, before Jesus would live, before Jesus would, would, would face life and call his disciples. They were, they were written and spoken by the mouth of David, the psalmist, the king. And he, he says these words. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the same words he just uttered from the cross. In Psalm 22, verses 16 through 18, you'll find these words. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. So you'll be sitting here today going, well, we know all about that. That's what the Easter story is all about. I've seen those movies on TV. I've seen the Passion of the Christ. I've been, to church, I've been in church all my life. I'm, I'm here today. I know what this is all about. No, you, I don't think you understand. See, these words were written before this, that event ever took place. Not only were they written before they ever took place, they were written when that form of execution was disallowed in the nation of Israel. God forbid crucifixion to the Hebrew people. Did you guys know that? The Bible says in one place that, it, that a man is cursed who hangs on the tree. God, God would not permit even the most heinous of crimes in the Old Testament to be, to be dealt with, with the, along these lines. And so when David writes these words, these are prophetic words. These were not customs that the Hebrew children were accustomed, that they were used to. These were things that, 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 that they just, that's, that's a curse. What is he talking about? They don't even know. They're trying to, to, to and God was saying, listen, I'm going to let you know who my son is. I'm going to let you know what's going to happen before it ever takes place. His hands and his feet will be pierced. They're like, wow, that's amazing to us. Listen, on it, it even describes more. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. All of that took place at the cross of Jesus. All of that. They parted his garments. They gambled for them. And hundreds of years before it ever took place, David writes about it. Gee, God was pointing the way that when this event happens, when this piercing takes place, history is going to change. And today, if you embrace that call, if you embrace that love, the history of your life can change today. Isaiah 53, 5, in the New American Standard Version, says this way, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. See, this is all prophetic too. See, Isaiah writes this after David, but before Jesus, a few hundred years before Jesus. And he's talking about the very same event that David described took place on Passover. I want to talk to you about this process Jesus endured. I want to talk to you about it because, see, this should never get old. This should never just be like, okay, another Easter Sunday. This should never be, well, I know that. See, if you get that kind of attitude, you've lost a battle already. Because the only thing that makes us what we are is the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection attached to it. Because without that, we're just following some other philosophy. Without that, we're just following some other way of life. Without that, we're just doing some other sort of worldview thing that everybody else is doing. But because of the things that happen that we commemorate this day, life and history have changed. They can call it before common era if they want to. To me, it's still B.C., you guys look at me like, dude, what is he talking about? You know they've changed that politically correct stuff. It used to be, you know, 400 B.C. 400 what? 400 before who? See, he stepped into history and created a division. You see that? And it's still A.D. As far as I know, I don't know, is it? I'm not politically correct, so I don't really care. This is still the year of our Lord. He still rules and he still reigns. And the thing that made the difference was this process of piercing that he went through. Let's go on to the next one. Are you guys with me? I got it. This piercing Jesus endured was a process of execution reserved for the lowest and most despised criminals. We call it crucifixion. Let me describe it to you. The goal of this Roman crucifixion was not just to kill the criminal, check this out, but also to mutilate and dishonor the body of the condemned. In ancient tradition, an honorable death required burial, leaving a body on the cross so as to mutilate it and prevent its burial. This was a grave dishonor. Under ancient Roman penal practice, crucifixion was also a means of exhibiting the criminal's low social status. It was the most dishonorable death imaginable, originally reserved for slaves. Hence, there's some Latin term I'm not going to even try to pronounce later extended to provincial freedom of obscure stations or, or people who were of low estate. The citizens' class of Roman society were almost never subject to capital punishments, and so they were fined or exiled. But Josephus, Josephus, who was a Roman historian and also a Jewish person, mentions that Jews of high rank who were crucified, but this was to point out that their status had been taken away from them. Control of one's own body was vital in the ancient world. Capital punishment took away control over one's own body, thereby implying a loss of status and honor. See, automatically when I read those words, it brings another passage of Scripture to mind. It brings back the passage of Scripture, Philippians 2, 7 and 8. For we will find these words here. It says this, But he made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant, a slave, and coming in the likeness of just mere men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Why is that important? Because the Bible says that he resided in heaven with God, his Father. God looked through the corridors of time and said, there's a problem between us and man. we got to fix it. Who's going to fix it? And I believe Jesus stood up beside Dad and said, hey, let me help. 
Dad wasn't going to take. He said, you're going to have to go down there. Really? What else is going to happen? You've got to be humble yourself. See, he was, the, he was the king of all the universe. He was the creator of all that we see, all that we touch, all that we feel, all that we can look at. Everything, he created all of it. The Bible says in John 1, he was, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He created all things, the Scriptures say. And he finds himself submitting himself willingly to the punishment from the hands of what he had created. He became humble to the place of a slave. See, this type of crucifixion, this type of execution was reserved for slaves and the lowest of criminals. And the king of glory, the God of heaven, the maker of earth said, you know what, I'll go down there and I'll do that. I don't think anybody else has ever gone to that extent for you or for me, ever. And he became obedient. The amazing thing is, if you keep reading in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says, therefore God has highly exalted him. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. The name of Jesus is above every name, the Bible says. He's highly exalted. This process of piercing was quite a process. This process of execution had a prelude, it had a processional, it had a, a procedure. We're going to look at all those things. The prelude. If you, we read in Isaiah 53, 5, it said, because of his scourging, we are healed. Now, see, this is something that was kind of synonymous with the Romans. They, they wanted to inflict as much pain on the executed as possible and to expedite the death as quickly as possible. Those soldiers didn't have to hang around at that cross any longer than they had to, waiting for that guy to die. And so what they would do, they would go through a process called scourging. Isaiah writes about it before Rome was even an empire. How cool is that? A cruel prelude was this scourging thing, which would cause the condemned to lose a large amount of blood and approach a state of shock. In the Roman Empire, this flagellation was often used as a prelude to crucifixion, and in the context, it's sometimes referred to as scourging. Whips with small pieces of metal or bone at the tips were commonly used. Such a device could easily cause disfigurement and serious trauma, such as ripping pieces of flesh from the body or loss of an eye. In addition to causing severe pain, the victim would be made to approach a state of hypovolemic shock due to loss of blood. We're not talking about something just, have you seen those movies about Jesus where he looks like he's powdered and remove that idea from your mind. Jesus was bloody, he was bruised, he was sweating, he was ate up, he was mutilated to the nth degree. This scourging, they would, they, would, they would beat them. They were allowed 40 lashes. We often refer to the, the instrument used as a cat of nine tails, bones, pieces of metal, rocks in the ends. And they would whip. And when they'd whip, those things would grab, and then they'd jerk back out. 
Aaron, that's gross. I don't care if it's gross. That's the truth. And if we lose sight of what Jesus went through, we lose sight of how much, how precious our salvation is. So he went through this scourging. And then there was this thing called this processional. See, he was the king, and often kings have processionals, but this processional wasn't one he wanted to be a part of necessarily. In fact, in the garden, he said, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And after they beat him to a pulp, they make him walk through the streets. It'd been one thing just to make him walk, but that wasn't all that they did. They would take the beam from the cross. It was called a patibulum. If he, there's, there's some dispute whether they would actually carry the whole cross or just the beam. If he carried the whole cross, they estimated it, it weighed 300 pounds. I can't hardly do that on a good day. If he just carried the beam, it weighed somewhere between 75 and 125 pounds. Okay? Now think about this. That rough wood is laid on the same back that all that flesh has been ripped off of. And he's made to carry it through the streets. Now that would have been bad. That would have been bad all by itself. But you know what else happened? They're Roman soldiers alongside, pushing. Keep going. Get up! And there are people lining the ways of the streets. And they're shouting and jeering and mocking and laughing and spitting. If he could get close enough, they'd slap him. And the Bible says his beard was even pulled out. And all sorts of things went on with Jesus as he was facing this execution. He has to, we, 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 we often uh, talk about Jesus, you know, as a Christian, we've got to carry our cross. Well, you know what? Think about what that means for just a second. That's not such a light thing to say. Carry your cross. Pick up your cross. Well, you know what? Our, 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 our Jesus went through that for us. And once he got to the execution site, then the procedure of, of, of actually crucifying would begin to take place. This, this procedure was painful, it was gruesome, and it was public. It wasn't like, you know, some people, you know, I don't know where all of you are on capital punishment and all that stuff. It doesn't really make a lot of difference, but I've heard said that, you know, lethal injection is a cruel form of punishment. Compared to this, just go to sleep. That's it. I mean, I, wow, night and day difference. And here Jesus is in front of everybody, not just in, behind the confines of a prison wall. He is out in front of everybody going through this. Crucifixion is where a condemned person is tied or nailed to a large wooden cross, left to hang until dead. He's nailed to a beam. One of the amazing things about this story, I, I'm sure some of you have seen, seen the the passion of the Christ. See, they were forced, the Roman soldiers would force, at this point, most of these guys had been through enough. They're trying to get away. They had to force them to lay down on that beam, know what was coming. I remember the passion of the Christ, one of my favorite, I don't want to say favorite, I don't know if you're going to have a favorite scene, but one of the most, I don't know how to even say that. It makes me want to cry even think about it. 
One of the most amazing parts of that movie is that as Jim Caviezel plays the, the part of Christ, there was no forcing to be done with Jesus. Jim Caviezel playing the part of Christ sees that beam laying on the ground and he crawls over to it and he turns around and lays down on it. See, Jesus looked Pilate in the face and he said, listen, no man takes my life from me. I willingly give it up. I lay it down. No, you would not have power over me except my father gave it to you. He didn't, he didn't do something just because no, like he had no control. He had all control and still chose to do it. Anyway, he would go through that. After his, his, They would take spikes that were seven inches long, three-eighths of an inch around in diameter. Okay? The spikes would be driven into his wrists. The spikes would hit the area of the median nerve, causing shocks of pain up the arms and to the shoulders and to the neck. I don't know if you guys have ever had like back problems where you've had shock, shocks of pain. Anybody ever had those? Those are not fun. Now listen, already standing at the crucifixion site would be a seven-foot-tall post. The center of this post was a crude seat to support the victim. The particular or the beam was then lifted up on the post. Have you guys ever heard of a thing called gravity? Jesus has been through, always been through. His hands are nailed to this beam, and then they, then they pick the beam up off the ground. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. I don't know if that even registers as to what Jesus went through for you. I'm going to get to why in just a minute. He's lifted up onto the post. Well, John 3, 14, Jesus makes this statement, Nicodemus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, this reference Jesus is making is from the Old Testament. There were snakes and vipers going through the camp, biting the, the children of Israel, poisonous snakes wreaking havoc. And the, the, the custom was if they lifted up that serpent on a post, it was like, a, like an engraved serpent, they lift that thing up. If, if the people would throw their eyes on that serpent, God would take care of the issue with the, 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 the snake bite. Now listen, that's important. Why is that important? Because I mean, know that the Bible refers to Satan as an old serpent. Here's what I want to tell you today. Jesus was lifted up because of the snake bite that's been inflicted in your life. The hurt, the tragedy, the frustration, the sin, the, 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 the damage, the, 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 everything life's dealt to you, he, he, he was lifted up for. And if you will throw your eyes on the person of Christ, his sacrifice, his love, today, wholeness, and wellness and salvation will come to your life. She said, if I build it up like Moses was lifted up, lifted up that snake in the serpent, or that serpent in the wilderness, I'll I'll be lifted up. He went on to say, listen, listen to these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here's the big, some of you are coming to church today and you maybe were just here because somebody invited you and the thought of being here is like, oh, I feel horrible, I'm, my life's not right. Listen, I want to tell you something. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He did not come 
to make you feel guilty, to make you feel horrible, to make you feel bad about who you are or what you've done. He came, the Bible says, that God might save the world through him. He did not come to condemn you. We're not here today to make you feel horrible about what you are or what you've done or how you've been or anything like that. We are here to extend the hope and the power of the love of Christ towards you. Today, today, John 12, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, if I, if I am from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Verse 33 says, this he said, signifying by what death he would die. He wasn't just saying if people just exalt me, you know, with their, their mouths. He's saying, if I be lifted up on that cross, I will draw all men to myself. He doesn't want, he wants, that's the thing, he wants all men to come to him. The Bible says that it's his will that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. The other part of this thing is it was long. It would take forever for this execution to take place. The length of time required to reach death could range from a matter of hours to a number of days. Death could result from any combination of causes, including blood loss, hypovolemic shock, sepsis, which is an infection caused by scourging or by the process of being nailed itself or dehydration. Remember, Jesus said, I thirst. A theory attributed to Pierre Barbet holds that when the whole body weight was supported by the stretched arms, the typical cause of death was asphyxiation. He conjectured that the condemned would have severely would have severe difficulty inhaling due to hyperexpansion of the chest and the muscles and the lungs. The condemned would therefore have to draw himself up by his arms, leading to exhaustion. It was a long, gruesome process. You guys might say, well, what? why, 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 why? The purpose was for me and for you. Sometimes we can't get our mind around this. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also says that the, without, the remission of, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He, he knew no sin. He was in all points to do like we are, yet without sin, the book of Hebrews says. Why? I remember walking through the streets of Toronto, Canada, doing a mission trip. We had gone there our first day. Our first visit, our, our, the first time uh, we were on, on the streets, and the, uh, as part of our mission team, we, they, they took on a scavenger hunt just to get used to the city. And we're out, supposed to be like collecting stuff and having people sign off on things, and we end up trying to eat lunch at, in front of a subway. And as we get ready to eat lunch from a subway, there's a man named David who's from a, a Muslim heritage. We're supposed to be just trying to figure out where we're going. All of a sudden, we find ourselves doing ministry right there, right in front of the subway restaurant. And the subway... Uh, we, we sat and talked. We bought him a sandwich, tried to fill him. Here's what, happened. Here's what David's deal was. He had been mugged, lost his passport, lost all of his money, any identifying things. He had nothing. I mean, zero, nada. The clothes on his back are all that he had. That is it. He was supposed to have left Toronto several days earlier, had no way of identifying himself, had no way of getting home, was trying to get a hold of family, and here he is, been wandering the streets for days. No bath, no shower, no food, only way he could scramble. And this guy was not a, not, not a poor man. He had a good job, I think he was from France, back home, a whole nine yards. And here he is, just happens to be at this subway at the same time we're there. We start trying to explain to him, and we bought him some food, and we sat down with him outside on this park bench, and we began to describe to him that Jesus loves him, that Jesus cared about him. You know what he couldn't get his mind around? That God would let that happen to his son. Some of you are sitting here probably this morning going, I remember going, it makes no sense, it makes no sense, it makes no sense. 
Why would God do that? Why would God, we can't try to explain to him. Listen, the reason God would do that, there was a purpose. This was not just some frivolous. That's why religious Christianity is a big, is a bad deal. You know why? Because if you could be good enough to get to heaven, God making Jesus go through what he went through is a heinous crime all by itself. If you could give enough into the offering plate, if you could do enough good deeds, if you could be kind enough, if you could pray enough, if you could say enough things, if you could memorize enough scripture, if you could do all those things, you know what? That's, that was a bad deal for Jesus. It's the truth. It's just the truth. What was the purpose then? Well, we started Isaiah 53. We probably get back to Isaiah 53. Verse 10 says this. Did it please the Lord to bruise him? That doesn't seem to make any sense. Again, this is prophetic. It's way before Jesus ever lived or died. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. One of the most important pieces of this passage is the next several words. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with transgressors, and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The, the purpose of this whole ordeal was, was, was four things. It was an offering for sin. Good, we couldn't do enough to get it right. There was nothing we could do to get to God. And God made an offering like Bill described earlier, sowing seed into the world. The seed was his son that he might reap a harvest of many sons and daughters. It was an offering from God to us to get things right. The next thing was to justify many. The justification of many. What does that mean? The word, I've heard it, the easiest way I can describe it is the way I heard it in Bible college. The word justify means like this. Just as if I never sinned. It was as if the Bible talks about there being a record of our lives, all we've done. If you were at the Good Friday service Friday night, you've heard this story once. Give me five more minutes. No, I'm just kidding. When Jesus hung on the cross, when he died and breathed his last, the Bible says he, is, he was he that descended, went to heaven, but he who, uh, who, who, who was he that ascended, but he who descended. He went to the lowest hell. He went to where God, where, where, where all the dead who had been, been, lived before him were held by Satan because of their sin. He marched up to the door. He knocked on the door. He said, he said let me in. And they're like, you don't, hang on, wait a minute. Um, your name's... The demon standing there at the door is like, your name's not in the book. Why wasn't his name written in the book? Because he hadn't committed any sin. Uh, hey, boss, we got a problem down here. Jesus is here. He wants in. Oh, and Satan's rubbing his hands, thinking he's got him. Jesus, we got you, don't we? He said, no, you see, I came to set those who are captive free. Satan's like, what are you talking about? These people were here before you ever lived. He said, we, we have rights to these people. He said, why don't you go over there and look up Abraham's name? Satan looks at the little imp. Well, go ahead. He starts flipping the pages. 
uh-oh, we got a problem. What's the problem? Where Abraham's name used to be, there's this big spot of blood covering that. What, 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 what about Moses? Up, 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 up. Uh-oh. Guess what? There's a big spot of blood there too. Whoa, 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 whoa. What about Jeremiah? Oh no. We got big problems, boss. And suddenly in that book, the blood of Jesus began to cover every sin, every problem, everything that had ever been done. Jesus' blood began to, to drip from that thing. And he made it as if none of us had ever sinned. He covered every sin we'd ever been we'd ever would commit, ever did commit. He looked down the corridors of heaven, he applied his blood to our lives and said, This is it. That should change our lives. He bore our iniquities. The Bible says he, he packed them with him on the cross. His father couldn't stand to look on him because God had put the sin of us all on him as he, as, he, as, he, as he hung there. And he made intercession for us as transgressors. But you know what? All that means nothing except for one, two, three, four, five words there in Isaiah 53. He shall prolong his days. What are you talking about? See, he's talking about Jesus dying. But all of a sudden he goes, he shall prolong his days. What is that an allusion to? That's an allusion to the resurrection. See, that wasn't the end of the story. His days weren't done. He wasn't completed yet. He had done his task, but there was still a lot of work in the earth to be done, and he was about to rise and empower his people to continue the work. And that's us. Why is that important? Because, you see, because of this, this, the, the prom, this was a promise. Jesus told his disciples, he said to them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And see, the Jewish people, the Pharisees are like, dude, what are you talking about? It took us years to build that thing. What do you mean you're going to build it in three days? And the, the disciples went on to, to find out he was speaking of his own body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word what Jesus has said. See, the thing that makes everything what Jesus said true is the fact that he overcame everything, including death, including hell, including the grave. He overcame all of it. He is who he said he is. He did what he said he would do. That tomb's still there in Jerusalem. You can walk in. It's vacant. There's nobody there. I'm just saying. This is the greatest power we've ever known, the world has ever known. This piercing was evidence of the greatest power ever known, the power of God's love. See, the apostle Paul wrote about it. He, he, he asked us this question. Check this out. He says, what shall we say to these things? He asked this big question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who? Who can be against us? And they're like, well, Paul, what are you talking about? He said, well, think about this for a minute, people. He who did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Paul said the fact that God gave us his son proves that he loves us. It's the greatest love ever. And if he is for us, the maker of heaven and earth, who can be against us? The answer is no one. Who can be against us? No one can be against us. Now, Paul says, i got another question for you. If he loves us that much, is there anything that can separate us from this love? He goes, verse 35, he says, 
who shall separate from the love of Christ? He says, now this is where we get interactive, okay? You've been doing pretty good. Hang in there with me. We're going to do, we're going to do shout and response, okay? Are you ready? He goes, gives a list. Shall tribulation. You got the choirs here from last time. They know what's going on. Shall tribulation. Uh-uh. Shall distress. Come on, you can do better than that. Shall persecution. How about famine? How about nakedness? How about peril? How about a sword? He says nothing. What can separate us? Nothing. The next question is, so if that's the case, who exactly are we? That would be a good question to ask, wouldn't you say? Verse 37, Paul makes this statement. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Church triumphant ain't just a nice name, y'all. We got some friends from Arkansas. I'm trying to make them feel at home. Do you guys say y'all back there? Y'all, okay. Y'all, Ewans, you say that too back down? Oh, okay. We, church triumphant. We are triumphant. We are the church as a called out once, called out of darkness, into light. We are church triumphant because of the sacrifice and love of Jesus. I am persuaded, and listen to these words, I am persuaded that neither death. Why could Paul write that? Because Jesus conquered it. Well, if he's got death, how about things in life? Hey, he got life covered too. Jesus walked this life, conquered all of it. How about this? How about angels or principalities or powers? Anything demonic, can they keep the love of God from getting to us? Absolutely not. How about things present? Some of you are sitting here today, and there's some things going currently in your life, and you're like, oh, crud. Oh, my goodness. Is God paying attention? What is he doing? Is that? And you know what I'm going to tell you today? Nothing present can separate you from the love of God. Some of you are sitting here going, dude, I don't know if my job's secure. I don't know if tomorrow I'm going to wake up and even, even I'm going to pay the bill on my house. I don't know if it, tomorrow, the, the next day. How about the future? Things are really up in the air. I don't know. What to do. How about things to come? Paul says, no, we overcome that too. Things present and things to come. Now listen. Nor anything, other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen. I'm moving as fast as I can. More than conquerors. Who are we? We don't just overcome a little bit. We overcome a whole lot. Listen, it used to be tradition back in these days that when a a king was conquered, they would take him into the street and they'd march him down the road. They would strip him of his crown. They would strip him of his glory. And they'd march him through the streets saying, listen, we have vanquished him. He is no longer in charge. We are in charge. Here's what happened. See, ever since the garden, when man fell the first time, Satan took control of this place we call earth. Scripture, you can read it, check about it, read Genesis, find out about it. But here's what happened. Jesus nailed all that junk to the cross. He overcame death. He overcame hell. He overcame the grave. The Bible says he took the keys. Whoo, give me those. I'll thank, have them very much. Thank you. And the Bible says in the book of Acts, I think. No, that's not right. Like Philippians or somewhere. My mind is moving too fast. And he said Jesus took Satan and he made a show of him openly. He grabbed a hold of Satan by the neck and said, come marching with me. 
I want to show everybody who's boss, who's king, who's God, who's Lord, right here, right now. We're about to take communion here in just a little bit. And here's the big deal. This communion is a time for commemoration and celebration. As you eat of this bread, you remember the body that was broken for you. As you drink of this cup, you remember the covenant that was established for you. And here's the thing. If you don't know Christ, you can know him right here, right now, today. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, that today is the day of salvation. Don't let us this day get get away from you. What a day to start a spiritual life on Resurrection Sunday. Be easy to remember every year. I've been saved for five years, six years, seven years. Ten years ago, Easter Sunday, man, I gave my life to Christ. Huh? How cool would that be? It wouldn't be, hard, it wouldn't be easy to forget, would it? Huh? I want to say something. This revelation about what Jesus went through should affect every moment of every day of your life. You should live in the knowledge, understanding of how much God loves you. And it should transform all that you are, all that you do, all that you think. Everything that you, you are about should be, be, be framed in the, in the context of what Jesus did for you. You should not walk out of there and be just like you were. You shouldn't walk out these back, these back doors and just be like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to get back to life. Okay, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. No, you should be like, oh, my goodness, God loves me so much. Today, if you don't know him, you can know him now. Let me say something. He bore all of our grief, all of our pain. We read in Isaiah 53. He bore all of our addiction. He bore all of our sickness. He bore all of our junk. He bore all of our sin. He bore all of our iniquity. He bore all of it. He packed it with him on that cross. Jesus, as he would instant, I'll tell you what, let's do. Choir, I guess you guys can take your place. Deacon.